Welcome to the Irrelevant Podcast. I'm Nathan Jones with my co-host Alex Lewis. Catching you guys on a Friday night here for episode 51 with Joseph Lucero. Joseph, thanks for joining us here on your Friday evening. We appreciate you taking your time away. Thank, oh, yeah. No, it's not a word at all, man. Hopefully if I didn't. If anybody's interested in talking to me, I'll, I'll talk their ear off about it. So Hopefully I didn't butcher your name there either. I apologize <laughs> if I did. No, you did good. I didn't even miss a beat when perfect. you said it it sounded perfect it was it was awesome so. awesome well go ahead just uh kind of give us a little introduction about who you are <laughs> what you do and uh, what niche of the, the strength and conditioning world that you find yourself in yeah so you know joseph lucero with harvesting strength um my big thing is i get to work with people online i know that's like such a saturated market now so I'm not really special by any means, but I think what makes it special is, I guess, my perspective on strength and conditioning. My big focus is strength and conditioning. So I try not to limit myself on just certain populations like powerlifters and bodybuilders and strongman, but I guess it's just kind of happened um, with how social media is and how my page gets pushed onto people. So I guess the biggest population I work with is the powerlifters, the strongman. Uh, the strong men and things like that. So, but yeah, that's that's pretty much me pushing my online content, my online business, and networking with people, and you know, building a, a brand uh, as much as I can in this really saturated business of other coaches and whatnot. Yeah. So obviously, your results are on your page, and they kind of speak for themselves a little bit. So is that why you think people kind of push you into that that area of strongman and powerlifting? Is that just because like yeah. they, they see a lot of that and they're like, oh, well, this guy is clearly just a powerlifting coach or just a strongman coach, but you see yourself different, clearly. Yeah, so I started off originally, um, I got my bachelor's and master because I really wanted to be a collegiate strength coach, but I found out real quick and I'm, I feel bad, but I feel like we're all honest people, right? The strength and conditioning community is kind of boring, low pay, and I feel I feel like you were underappreciated because I would spend times at universities pulling kids out of the bathroom, hiding for their workouts. And I was like, good God, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, but when I started posting my own content, you know, I, I would be lifting, doing powerlifting. I would get a few clients right off the bat when I started my social media and their powerlifters and all of a sudden it became powerlifting and then strongman. Um, and then, you know, I'll have people come to me saying, Hey, my friend says you're a powerlifting guy. And I'm like, well, I could do more than that, but, I guess I'm not too upset about it because end of the day, I get to work with a ton of strong people in those different arenas. So I kind of feel like I can become more and more of an expert uh, in those fields. So what, what school were you at where these people are hiding in the bathroom? Is it like a, or nope. was it a specific sport or was it just all of them or what's up? I won't tell you what school <laughs> it, you wouldn't even know what it is. Uh, they are division one. So that's kind of cool. Uh, but it was, I'll wrap them out. The track team. I was just like, Oh my God, what's wrong with you guys. And what was so funny was they're like, we don't want to get bigger. We're gonna get slower. And I said, God damn dude. Like you getting bigger, more muscle is more potential force production. So <clears throat> that also kind of brings in some of my thing too, where I don't just talk about like, oh, hey, good bench or man, your levers are great for deadlift. I also talk the science too, because I have such a dense background in that stuff. I can appreciate that. So it's not just such a one-sided conversation about form and technique. It's also the sciences and, you know, why, why are you feeling good this day versus 48 hours later, you're still feeling bad. 
nervous system, all that stuff. I kind of like to, you know, dive into all those different uh, areas of movement. So what kind of, what kind of got you into the field? Like what path did you kind of get started on that led you down to the right resources that kind of gave you that, that science-based view of strength and conditioning? What, what really got you going in the right direction? You feel like. So when I was in uh, high school, I don't know. I don't know if this, I don't think he's going to care, but when I was in high school, my strength and conditioning coach was jailhouse strong. So he, he worked with me and a bunch of guys and in the state of Texas, that's where I am. Um, in the state of Texas, we have a really big powerlifting um, following for even high school. They have uh, THSPA, Texas High School Powerlifting Association. And he had moved from California to work at Metroflex. And, you know, Brian Dobson, Ronnie Coleman, Branch Warren, not to say he worked with them, but he was in that group. Um, and he found his way into our school through the football coach. And we would do workouts with him. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is so intense. This is what I want because I craved to get stronger. You know, I played football just to lift weights. I knew that if I did anything else, um, I wouldn't get as strong. But I knew the strongest guys were on the football team. So, you know, fast forward to meeting Josh my junior year. We won state as a team. You get points per person. We won state again my senior year. And he taught me some cool things. And I was like, I want to be like Josh. Uh, I want to I want to teach people how to, uh, to get stronger. And we would have these in-depth conversations on the sciences of it all. I was like, I got to get involved in this because if I could be like him, that'd be so cool to impact others. And, you know, I went and did my degree and um, tried to do the college stuff. I didn't love it. And then eventually I found my way to the online platform. And now it's kind of blossomed into this great thing. So I'm really proud of it and um, excited for what more is to come of it. What area of Texas are you in currently? Uh, Dallas, Texas. Dallas. I, I say Dallas, Texas. But if there's any Texas people out there, I'm really from Fort Worth. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I watch the Cowboys games and it pisses me off because the announcers will say, we're out here in Dallas, Texas. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're in Arlington. You're in Arlington. Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of agitates me. But yeah. So I say Dallas, but in real real ways, it's more so Fort Worth. Well, we won't talk about your Cowboys. Don't worry. We won't. We won't bring up any painful or awful things. Are you that a Raiders have... fan? Are you kidding me? Hey, hey, come on it, now. It's not Dak. It's the coaching if you would watch McCarthy and how he handled the games, I was like, there's no way they're doing this right now. Like three throws, they have time to chew off and they're going to keep throwing the ball and stop the clock. <clears throat> if I could, I would just completely destroy them uh, on this podcast. It just pisses me off to no end. Were, so. were, were you in the, the uh, it starts with Jerry though. Let's be real. Yeah. Ever since Jerry, Jerry got rid of fucking Jimmy, it's been a shit show Oh, yeah. No, easily. Hands down. It's awful. McCarthy should not have came back. Uh, you, we should have pursued Bilicek. Yeah, uh, that would have been interesting. I was going to ask that. It's crazy. Bilicek doesn't even have a job now because all the jobs have been taken up. So that he's he doesn't even have a position in the league this year, which is mind-boggling. waiting out till next year, probably. He wants too much control. People don't think he deserves it for some reason. Because, you know, in 23 years, he had one bad season. Yeah. And he's 71. So my thing's like, dude, you got to... You know, if you're going to go somewhere, it needs to be like perfect setup. It's not like rebuild. It's like, hey, we're going to win right now. We just need your help. And then, yeah. you know, kind of get them over the there, top. So. so how many clients do you currently work with? Um, do you work with any in, in person at all right now? Or is it completely online with everything that you work with? If I work with anybody in person, it's got to be a very unique situation. Um, as you can see right here, 
on social media, I would call this my office. In real life, I would say this is my third garage with no AC or heat. So <laughs> I usually get pretty sick in here. But um, I'll work with like five or six people in here, local people I've known um, and, you know, word of mouth. But my biggest is the online. And with the online, I have about sometimes people won't say anything, but I'll say it. I'm like, I don't care. I'll tell you how many I have. Uh, 65, 66. So damn. Yeah, it's hard. And I feel bad sometimes. They'll send me these texts and I'll tell them, hey, you know, I'm not trying to be a hater. I just got to work through them. So, you know, please be patient unless it's something urgent. Then please write urgent and I'll get to you right on the like right as quick as I can. But yeah, it's 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 about 65, 66. That's a lot. That's a lot to manage. People don't understand like when you're doing how many clients, when you're actually writing good programs for people or you're trying to put effort into a program and you're trying to get results for people like that number starts to creep up there and it becomes a difficult task to really stay on top of like helping people get the best results. So that's, that's a big, that's a big number. Kudos to you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I think, you know, I, I know that a lot of them will watch this and listen to this and hopefully feel proud that, you know, we have such a strong group but I feel like, honestly, if you ask any one of them, and I feel pretty strong about this, if you ask any one of them, hey, how's communication with jo uh, Joseph or Joey or what do you want to call me? They'll tell you, yeah, it's really good because I think that's one of the worst things about coaches is this, you know, hey, I'm going to send the program, I'll check in, and then I'll send the next one. Like, you have to, like, build relationships with these people, which can be taxing, but that's kind of what you're there for. That's, yeah. like, your job and your focus, so. That's hopefully why you call yourself a coach, I would imagine. <laughs> I would hope so as well. Absolutely. How did it, how long did it take to kind of get some traction after you left the college setting and you kind of stepped out and did your own thing? Did it take a little bit while to get things going or just really good word of mouth kind of bringing more people to you? Or how did you really expand to like kind of where your business is today? So I tried a lot of different stuff. When I first started, it was more so like I had another job. So it's like if you go back to like 2018, I was like, had a job and I was like, I'm going to take on like a handful of people. <laughs> I did it before back in like 2010, 2011. I had learned some people were doing this where they send the spreadsheets and whatnot. But um, in 2018, 2019, I was like, I'm going to take on some more people because I'm about to have my first baby. Like I didn't have the baby. My wife did. I was there and I supported her. Um, Jason Kelsey, like a Jason Kelsey yeah. style. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want people to to think I'm just, you know, weird. But <laughs> yeah, no, I um when I started this, I think right off the bat I had like 10 or 12 by that end of that first year. And it was just like, hey, let me just kind of bring in some side cash to kind of help with some of the expenses and changes in life. And then the next year it was like 20 to 25. And I was like, man, this is really cool. I'm actually gonna try hard on this now. I do Facebook ads. Uh, you know, hey, referral programs, et cetera. But I think the biggest thing that grew me was the word of mouth and changing my content because I would try to do like those collaboration posts with people where I was like, hey, what if we did like a competition and I gave away your supplement? I had two or three people turn me down because they said, hey, your social media is not that good. You just, you know, you don't post anything that's like helpful. So then I changed my perspective. So that's the stuff I post now. Hey, your 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 deadlift's not good because of this. Watch this lifter; his squat suffers because of this. And then I think that really grew it um, because now people saw my value, um, and it kind of gave me 
an opportunity to like, you know, leverage some conversations where people would say, you know, in a direct message, hey, this kind of looks like me. Can I show you some more film and you can tell me more about what my problem is? And that's where now I pushed into, you know, the next year, like 40 clients and then 55, now about 60, you know, 65. So I think that's kind of what helped it out. Most Why do you think content. it is that people don't understand the secret sauce is jumping? That's what I want to know. Oh. You talk about jumping all the time yeah. and I am wholeheartedly oh. in agreement with you and nobody understands how important it is. So I think the problem with the jumping situation, I think it kind of stems back to something we talked about earlier where everybody's so hyper-focused on like squat bench deadlift. I'll talk to some client or clients, some people who could be like a potential prospect, if I'm being honest. And I'll say, hey, I like the jumping. I like yada, 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 the sciences behind movement. And they're like, nah, dude, like Russell or he, the squat bench deadlift. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, yes, but that's okay. He can do some squat bench deadlift, but you're, you're not as good as Russell. So maybe there's something that's lacking. And I think the jumping is just too, too hard to understand. I don't think people really appreciate the science behind movement. I think they're so focused on the physical and not like, you know, the, the below the surface level type of training that exists. Like I have a big passion for mental strength too. And I think that's why a lot of the clients struggle, you know, their mental strengths weak, but you can't physically train that, you know, you have to work on it in different uh, perspectives. So I think that's why the sciences are so hard. It's hard to, I don't know, I guess, grasp the physicality of it. Do you find explaining things like the force velocity curve to people helps them understand why they need to train all those capacities and things like that, that just powerlifting is comprised of all of these things, not just squat, bench, and deadlift? You're actually trying to be an athlete? Yeah, I'll tell them a lot. I'll say, you know, powerlifting is called powerlifting. And even though you watch a lifter, you know, struggle inches through a deadlift and stuff like that, their intent was to lift that with, with, with as much force as possible. So, you know, power is strength and speed. And one of the easiest ways I can prove it's true is I just program it or I suggest it. I'll say, hey, the next deadlift workout you do, do 10 seated vertical jumps. Sit on a bench, jump to heaven, come back, don't leave. You know, you got more time here. You, you got more to do. And they'll do it. And they're like, oh, my God, like, I feel perfect. And, you know, the curve you're talking about, you know, all the diagrams, I don't really get to get into that too much because at the end of the day, I'll tell them, it's kind of like just waking up, you know, if you're going to go deadlift or squat crazy, do those jumps. It's going to wake you up. It's going to wake up that nervous system, you know, the, the distance from your brain to your body, you know, that's going to get quicker. If you do those jumps, um, not the distance, just the signal is going to get better, but I just end up just telling them, just do it. Don't knock it till you try it. I mean, there is a ton of research behind it, but everybody wants to have an argument on social media. So it's, it's very agitating, you know? So you have your lifters do jumps in competition. So like I've had lifters that are about to go on the platform <clears> and they're not looking fast enough. And I go just jump twice before you go and then go out there. So your nervous system's still excited. Yeah, I, I have done that because I personally have done that. And I'm like, this is perfect. Um, but I've had some guys, I've had, I've had a couple who are like, I haven't done it in the meet. And I'm just kind of nervous. And I'm like, Hey, you know, whatever you got to believe on meet day, then go for it. Like, you know, if you think red underwear is going to make you stronger then wear red underwear, you know, <laughs> if you don't want to jump, then just make sure that you're going to get it, get the lift. But I've had some people where I'm like, you know, we're talking about warmups. We're getting ready for the meet. We talk about openers, second attempts. And then I'll say, Hey, you're going to do your jumps. And they're like, well, I planned on it. And I was like, yeah, just however you warm up for deadlift day, 
that's the same warm up you're going to do for, you know, competition day with your deadlift. Don't change anything. Don't do anything wacky. <clears throat> I'll still program those jumps in and they'll still execute them. And I I've had good feedback from it. So how many jumps are you typically giving your guys, uh, in a training, like a micro cycle, how many jumps per week do they usually get or however many days that you train people? So the easiest way to explain it would be like, you know, they have most, most people have a four day split and then two of those days are like, you know, the, the push or not the push, like the, the leg or the pull day, like pulling or whatever. I might have them jump in a single session. Like they might do six jumps as a warm up, leading to the heavy set. And then what I'll do is I'll have them superset the jumps with like their sub max speed reps. So if I was to just run through like a workout in like 30 seconds, it'd be like, you know, one of the ones I love is the belt squat because, you know, um, it's very hip dominant and I want their hips to be firing for a deadlift. I'll tell them, you know, go three by three on a belt squat, kind of light, and then do three jumps each time you do that. Um, so the superset exists there, heavy deadlift happens. We'll do isometrics against the rack. And then I'll say, okay, we're going to do 10 speed singles, pull the bar, walk over, do a jump and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It might be like 12 or 15 jumps a session. So I guess in a week, 24 to 30, um, you know, which isn't really excessive. Someone right. told me once they're like, man, you're going to wear your clients out. They're going to be so tired. And I was like, if you're tired after 12 jumps, you are a terrible person. Like you have no work capacity whatsoever. You better get some GPP, get some, get, get in shape, go pull some sleds yeah. on some days or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Be prepared for something. Yeah, because that's, I mean, it's 24 jumps, that's probably on the lower spectrum when it comes to, like, jump volume during an actual, during an actual week of training, yeah, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a lot, but, you know, I'm leveraging the jump to get stronger. I'm not leveraging the strength to, you know, jump higher. So, you know, the intent's a little different. But, yeah, it's just a tool to warm them up um, and get them prepared. And then to complement, there's some maximal uh, sets and, and stuff like that, so. Do you incorporate any type of sprints at all ever to touch the, the high end of the explosive strength? Man, you know, that would be really cool. I don't. I don't. Um, actually, I take it back. Maybe one or two people, they'll just tell me like, you know, hey, what are some other things I can do? Like extra meat workouts. Like, you know, what's some extra things I can do? And I'll bring that stuff up. But I don't typically train that in there because I don't know if this resonates with uh, with y'all, but when working with these clients, a lot of the powerlifters are like, you know, hey, I got a full-time job. I got two kids. My wife's at home waiting for me to come home so she can, you know, beat me up for being home so late. You know what I mean? Like there's so, so such a limit on time. I have to really think strategically on how to plan out their their sessions and stuff. So, How would you like categorize your system as far as like, you know, do you do a lot of linear? Do you do a lot of block? Are you completely conjugate? Do you, how would you kind of, classify the system that you run or do you just kind of pull from each when you need them or what does your system look like? So um, I would say some people have said linear, um, but like the linear for me is kind of a common one that I'll do with people who are just fresh into harvesting strength. It might be, hey, we're going to go four blocks. They're all four weeks long. So 16 weeks, we'll go you know, with, with their main sets, it'll be six reps for three weeks. Then we'll drop off a little bit and then we'll go five, three, three. So it's like a, a heavy set of five. And then the next week it's a set of three with like a small jump. 
just to kind of keep it conservative. And then the following week will be a heavy set of three. And then from there, I keep tapering down, you know, doubles, singles, and then um, they'll hit their max effort in what I call the championship block at the end of that. So there is some linear. Um, I love conjugate for the variation movements because if I'm not hitting a major movement hard, I'm going to hit the variation hard because I tell them, hey, you haven't mastered a variation lift, and that's supposed to target your your weaknesses. So if I can increase muscular recruitment through those variation lifts, then I'm winning and you're winning, you know? If you have bad posture on squat and we do, you know, dead good mornings off the pins and stuff like that, you're going to have immaculate posture because your back's going to become bulletproof from that. So you're going to fry it. <laughs> I'm going to fry it, man. I'm going to make yeah. these people just <laughs> beg for mercy. I'm just messing around. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't mean it. I do respect the recovery though. I do understand people burn out and I really try hard to think about, Hey, they're at like 87%. So if squat day is hard, that lift day is just speed based and then vice versa the next week. Do you so have I a, do a little bit of, tape of that too. Do you have a pretty good way of managing people's recovery and their stress and, or is it just based on the check-ins that you have with them? Or do you have a really good system of monitoring what they're doing or, the, or do they just give you really good feedback? Like, Hey, I'm feeling pretty down today. Or how do you go about managing that recovery for them? So I have my own system where it's like, you know, when I see the percentages increasing, then I start to kind of go into this undulating mindset where heavy squat, light deadlift, flip it. And then I do get a lot of good feedback. I keep coughing. I'm sorry. I think You're I good. had the flu at one point. Um, so forgive me on that. But I do get good feedback from the clients. But if I don't get good feedback, it like never fails. The numbers don't lie. And it's so funny because I might have someone who's pretty inconsistent, inconsistent with their dialogue. And then I'll program a week where it's like, okay, kind of conservative. And then I'll hear from them. Yeah. This week was, was uh, a little bit easier and I needed it because I was feeling so tough from the previous week. And I'm like, you know, the numbers don't fail in that sense. So I do start to kind of alternate intensities probably just about halfway through like a 16 week cycle once I get to week eight, that's where I kind of stagger the intensity out. Um, more so with bench or with bench, with squat and deadlifts. Bench, it just depends on the person. So yeah. Do you see deadlift becoming pretty taxing on people pretty within that eight week frame? Or is it sometimes earlier with people? Obviously it's gonna be different with different people, but does the do you see him kind of flame out on the deadlift before any other your other lifts that you program? I would say it's it's kind of it's kind of mixed. I'm not sure necessarily what would be the most dominant one, but I don't let the deadlifts get too banged up because I actually um, don't do a straight bar deadlift for like the first four to five weeks. I'll actually work um, for sumo lifters. I'll do like a floating uh, sumo variation where they'll just hover over the floor. They never touch the floor, and they'll go like crazy sets, like six sets of four, eight sets of four. And I tell them, you know, focus on kind of squatting down with the bar. And, you know, I'm really trying to like really get all those muscles firing off. And the fact that it's floating, they can't really go too heavy. And then for my conventional guys, I, uh, I work heavy farmers and a ton of trap bar um, clusters. Because for me, it's like I'm improving their center of gravity. I'm not really blowing out the low back. It's a lot of leg drive. Um, so I don't really see a lot of issues with the deadlift. I think that might be like the most successful lift of all my lifters is the deadlift. Yeah, that's not typically. Do you call yourself a deadlift specialist then? Yeah. Does that count? 
no, no way. There's other there's other people who are really good at deadlift, and I'm I don't know. You know, maybe they'll come across me and say, "Oh, this asshole said he's so good at deadlift," and I'm like, I don't know. I think I do really good with it. But I'm actually writing a book on the deadlift. I've wrote a lot of books, and the next one is about deadlift, and I want it to be insanely extensive, and I want it to really, you know, focus on hey, you don't have to straight bar deadlift all the time to be a really good deadlifter. Like I'm so over it. Like I'm so over seeing it and hearing about it. You know, there's so many other ways to do it. What are your, what, what are your other books been about? What's that? What have your other books been about? So my, my first one was just a short one. Someone told me, Hey, if you want to get really good on the online platform, have an ebook just to hand out to people. It's principles of programming. I kind of talk about, People have bad hips, bad posture. Um, they press with their elbows out. I kind of just work on some basic stuff. But then the next books I did was, uh, I called it Bench Press Bully. It's kind of cheesy, but it was a bench press book. Um, and a lot of people liked it. So it gave a program in there and some ideas to work with. Uh, Principle of the Mindset, that was just all mentality. Um, so different ways to like program mental strength within your, your uh, peak and it has some fun narratives in there just to kind of give some people, you know, some ideas to work with. Because I think lifting so mental. Uh, you can't be soft if you want to go heavy. Um, other books I did um, was Harder to Kill. That one was talking about how we need to have more athleticism and strength training. So I really promoted like strongman, bodybuilding, and powerlifting programming and how it fits all together, how it meshes together. Um, the whole goal was, you know, with that book. Um, you know, be harder to kill, always be prepared for what's next, stuff like that, kind of gimmicky, but it was really fun. And then a couple other books, Meat Mountains is all about arm training. You know, my biggest issue with arm training is everybody seems to be focused on single joint exercises when that's not going to grow your arms as much as it could be with compounds. Um, and then after that was Slabs of Beef. I know I'm giving out these crazy ass titles, but they're kind of catchy. And Slabs of Beef was talking about Size versus strength. Why is it that you can build a ton of size or a ton of strength? And it's kind of hard to build both. So I kind of break down the sciences behind that. Uh, and I try to use references of like Stan Efferding, Johnny Jackson, Ronnie Arnold, you know, be really good at one, but can you be really good at both? And it kind of talks about that seesaw effect on size and, and strength. So Stan's like one of the only ones that's done that, right? Like he's been a world-class powerlifter and a top-level bodybuilder, right? Yeah. So in the book, I don't know if Stan will ever hear this, you know, Stan, you're amazing. You're a stud. But what I talked about with Stan was he was really good at bodybuilding, really good at powerlifting, but he wasn't like the Ronnie of bodybuilding and he wasn't like, you know, some of the other huge names of powerlifting. So it's like he got real close, but can you truly do that? And what I'm trying to say in that book is, you can leverage building size for strength, or you can leverage building strength for size. But at the end of the day, if you want to be the strongest or the biggest, you have to have intentional programming. And it's really hard to have both if you want to be the greatest at one of them. Um, you know, so. Can you share a little bit about the article that you just had posted on Generation Iron about bodybuilders doing powerlifting in their offseason? Because that's something I've thought about for a while now that I think the translation of like the muscle density and the fast twitch fibers you develop and all of those things would actually carry over to being on the stage really well. Because what I've seen is athletes who were like sport athletes before bodybuilding, their muscles look much different when they get leaner than somebody who's only done hypertrophy work. 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm glad that did you. So you got to see that article? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I saw that that it was posted. Yes. I showed my wife. I said, "Hey, I I know you don't know what Generation Iron is, but it's a big deal." And I got an article on there, and she's like, "This thing's too long. I'm not going to read this." And I was like, <laughs> "I don't need you. Just say something like, hey, oh, that's really cool. You got to put an article there.'" But my big thing about the the article was, yeah. I think the underlining theme was compound versus isolation exercises. When do you do them? Why should you do them in a certain order? Because I'll see some people who are quote unquote bodybuilders and I'll see them working out and I'm not talking crap. I'm just like observing. And I'm like, I wonder why they did that before that. Or I wonder why they're, you know, picking this versus that, this variation versus that. So in the article, it really breaks down the barriers on, you know, why you should leverage your strength for more muscular density and what are the effects metabolically, metabolically that are occurring from heavy compounds before you go to isolation. Uh, and I think one of the bigger quotes in the article was, if you have a big bench press, you got a big chest, but just because you have a big chest doesn't mean you have a big bench press. So I also prove it to that too, where I'm like, Hey, if you want to be a great bodybuilder, grow your bench. I know bench isn't going to recruit like those sternal fibers, but what's cool about the bench is you can overload your chest so much in that movement that it's going to really translate into this metabolically exhaustive event in, in your workout to where now when you do sternal fiber exercises or you isolate the pecs, et cetera, you're going to thrive off of that situation metabolically and your, 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 your physique, your aesthetic, everything's just going to fall into place. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I was going with that one. Again, the science behind movement and why it's such a big deal. <laughs> that was funny. I don't know who that was, but that was pretty funny. The gym owner. <laughs> oh, perfect. Awesome. Just a random ass clown. <laughs> uh, it's all good. It's all good. So where, so you saying that people, they always, they're doing too many single joint exercises and that's just because, so what, why do people need to do more compact lifts? If you can go into it just a little bit further, like why do they need to do more compound exercises to help them in their endeavors of getting bigger? Like what's the, what's actually happening at those levels? Just kind of like a little, a little more detail. Yeah. So basically with the compound movements, it's multi-joint movements. And what happens with multi-joint movements is you're using a kind of more muscle groups. And the more muscles you use, the more exhausting the workout becomes. And exhaustion is the precursor to growth. So I kind of explain it like this. What's going to make you more exhausted, bicep curls or barbell squats? It's going to be barbell squats because it's lay, It's like your, your, your knee joint, your hip joint. You're having to stay upright. You're using a ton of muscles. Um, and, and when that happens, when you start your work off that way with compound overloading movements that really trigger a lot of uh, different muscle groups, you're creating that catalyst to growth within that workout because it'll stay in science when you're exhausted in that situation, growth hormone, testosterone, all those levels start to, you know, rise up. And one thing that I do with clients, that's funny that I liked was on leg day, I'll throw in some biceps and they're like, why am I doing biceps on leg day? And I'm like, you're in such an exhausted state, your test, your growth hormone, all that stuff's elevated. If you do bicep curls on this day, I promise to God, your, your arms are going to get a lot bigger. And, you know, lo and behold, it happens. And that's just, again, you know, the whole conversation of science, of movement. You know, some people don't want to believe it. It sounds obscure. 
but it's science for a reason. Um, it's just hard to prove those things to certain people because they're used to mainstream stuff. Um, and that doesn't follow mainstream. Like bodybuilding, it's all about, you know, cable flies, just throwing them in there. And those are perfect mid to later in the workout after you've done some kind of press. And it doesn't even have to be a bench press. It could be like a dumbbell bench press, you know, freedom to move, uh, open, like adduct your, your upper arms, all those things. So I don't know if that answers it. Um, it's just kind of from that, <laughs> that, um, I don't know, cellular level bullshit, yeah. you know, so. You're giving out the natty secrets now. That's what I've always had people do that don't want to do drugs. It's <laughs> like, well, we're going to have to then put the small muscle groups with the big ones because you need the growth hormone and the testosterone to grow. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's a fun thing too. And um, what I'm trying to say, I'm sorry, I got distracted. I'm drinking bourbon now. I told you I was going to do it, man. <laughs> that's all right. Every time I've been on some kind of show, I throw it in there. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do this, dude. I gotta do this. But that that whole natty secret thing, I love giving out all this information to people. Like, I'll sit there and have conversations with people on this stuff because it's 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 a great hook. Like, hey, he knows what he's talking about. I need to connect this guy. And I'll have clients with me for years because it becomes this educational opportunity. You know, if you're gonna be a good coach, you really wanna be able to educate people. You don't want to get stumped on questions. And you're like, ah, it's just good for you because someone else did it. You know, you want to be able to have that depth in there too. So, Yeah, for sure. That's definitely something I don't find most people know. But I don't think most people are as well educated as you are on this stuff. So how much of what you learned from Josh do you still use today, do you think? If I had to put like a percentage on it, because that's where I go. I used to be a math teacher, so my mind kind of goes in that way. I would say probably 30, 30% of it. One of the coolest things Josh did for me was I had a bad deadlift. In high school, my junior year, I deadlifted like five, five ten, And all the other guys were beating me in competitions. Like I benched four, four ten, but they would come beat me on deadlifts. And I was like, this sucks, man. This is awful. And for three months, he said, we're going to lift 315 deficit deadlifts for six sets of three with a minute rest. And you're going to do that once a week. And I was like, okay. And I did it for three months, the same weight for three months. And I said, hey, the meat's coming up in like three weeks. Can I throw on something heavy? He's like, no. And then in my first meet, I pulled 570. And I said, what the hell is this? Dude? <laughs> and he said it. And he said, it's it's knowledge. You should use it. So I, I, I did learn that. And then he trained me a little bit in college and uh, a little bit after that. Yeah, there's a lot of things where I learned from him. I'm like, this is genius. This is perfect. Um, and then obviously I pulled in from other things, the conjugate linear block, all those things you were talking about earlier, uh, to kind of craft into my own. So Can you explain a little bit why that was so effective, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening that don't really understand the science behind it. Like it makes sense to me why that was so effective, but can you break it down and explain? Yeah. So one of the biggest issues I had with my deadlifts was pulling it off the floor was so hard, like getting it off the floor. So I would stand on that platform. So like two to three inches. So it increased my range of motion so that I was stronger before the lift began. But the six sets of three at 315, I don't know what percentage that is, um, but it's it's a very light percentage to what my max was at five or 510. I would pull for speed. And what I was doing is I was learning how to fire off those muscles quickly, effectively to where when I would get into max strength effort, I could fire those. I, I had more movement mastery. 
I was able to fire off those muscles uh, quickly, uh, more effectively, and it really aided into being more powerful. Um, because I think everything I did when I was a kid, I was just strong. Like, you know, I would lift weights and just do this and that. I never did like, you know, explosive things like cleans or speed deadlifts or speed bench. I never knew what those things were. But adding the speed to my strength made me much more powerful, which allowed me to fight through sticking points and things like that, too. So, Do, do you see that? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Nathan. You're good. I was going to say, do you see that with a lot of your lifters that come over and maybe train with you from a previous program where they just want to do squat bench dead? And it's just like, hey, man, I'm just going to do the heavy sets. I'm just going to do the stuff that's going to make me, quote unquote, stronger. And they don't focus yeah. on the speed set of things. And then if you incorporate that kind of stuff, do you see their numbers just kind of explode? Or do you kind of see that with the people that you train? Yeah, so I would say probably about half of them don't do speed stuff. Um, I'll even throw bands for like the advanced people. Like, hey, we're going to do speed and add a band. So there's that exponential increase in strength, which would kind of mimic your mastery of squatting, benching, and deadlifting. But uh, a lot of them don't do the speed stuff. I, I would think the number one culprit of why a lot of my clients initially aren't strong um, is hip problems. So a lot of them just don't train their hips and no, no guy wants to go in the gym and do barbell hip thrusts. Like <laughs> they'll go there like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, if, if my girlfriend did it, you know, everybody'd be proud of her, but if I'm doing it, they're all like, what's wrong with you. So a lot of times I have to kind of change the programming from what they did before and say, Hey, we got to focus on your hips real big um and you know really isolate those so i know that you're asking about speed and i would say half of them have a speed issue um you know mastery fluidity of their movement but a lot of the other ones it's like you're strong as hell but your hips are no good so when you do squat like you know their their knee joint they would extend their knee joint and their hips would still be bent so they're falling over and they can't get up and i tell them yeah, your back needs to get stronger, but your knees extend real hard before your hips because your hips can't keep up. So we got to do something about that too. So, you know, that's a different perspective. Some people might not know uh, when it comes to that stuff. So what are some of your other go-to hip exercises outside of the hip thrust? Because ironically, this off season, I've been doing all the really small ones that all the girls do on the cable machines. Uh -huh. And fuck me if that's not the most humbling experience I've ever had. People knock on cable pull-throughs and I'm like, come on, dude. Like it's, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but I'll tell you my number one favorite one <coughs> is the horizontal band RDL. I don't know if you've seen them on my posts or my page, but essentially what happens is you got your squat rack or something behind you. You do RDLs, but you anchor the band around your hips like it's a belt. And what you'll do is when you do the RDL and you hinge, you're hinging against the band. And what's so perfect about that is, is that, you know, the strongest angle in, in, in the real world is like 90 degrees. I think it's 90 to hundred. So the higher you get, you know, the more perpendicular you are, the stronger you are in that position. When you hinge on an RDL or any other movement, the taller you get, the less hip you're gonna use. So if we do the horizontal band, then you're getting full 100% hip extension on the hinge, you're getting a lot of hamstring development. You're building that posterior chain to the next level. That's kind of like my go-to so that it's like, hey, let's kill two birds with one stone. Let's hit the glutes. Let's hit the hamstrings, low back erectors, if you want to argue that, um, all in one. So that, that's my main one. And 
I think some people might do that movement almost all year long. Maybe not, but it, it's a dominant one. I love it. How do you program that as like accessory work or is that in like more of a hypertrophy type style or how do you like to utilize that particular movement? So I'm going to answer it this way and then, you know, we can feed off of it from there. I love it for sumo lifters because I think they really need some strong glutes to break the floor. So what I'll do is I'll say, okay, on our squat day, let's do the horizontal band, but in your sumo stance with the barbell and just keep the bar tight. And then we're going to float the reps. And then the next block, okay, let's do it again for three sets of six, but let the bar rest every rep. And then, you know, near near the peak, I'm like, okay, let's do it again. Let it rest on the floor. But instead of three sets of six, we're going to go six sets of three. And we're really learning, like, the wedge and all that stuff in there. Uh, so it, it can exist for as long as I want it to. I wouldn't say it stays just on hypertrophy. I think it's instrumental for um, all other parts of training. You see having good carryover with teaching people the wedge? Because, like, that's one thing I notice when it comes to deadlifting, that most people don't even know what the fuck a wedge is, let alone, yeah. like, how to get into it. And then I even make the joke, like, are pause deadlifts just somebody that didn't understand what a wedge was, and so they decided to call them a pause deadlift? Maybe, yeah. I think that's a hard one to do. Um, sumo requires so much technique. Um, a lot of the people who conventional deadlift for me do strongman stuff. But the ones who sumo deadlift, there's a lot of movement refinement. So there's a lot of sexier movements in there with the deadlift just because they need it so bad. But yeah, the whole wedge thing, man, it's it's very tough, very complicated. Sometimes people start doing sumo and I'm like, I don't think you should sumo. I think this is just too much for your personality. <laughs> it's not going to make sense. I just need you to just go back to good old conventional for me. And I think we'll be great. Too much for your personality. <laughs> you can't handle any more things. Sumo's not for you. You can't embrace that. <laughs> some some people I work with, man, they are and they know who I'm talking about. They'll send me something, something later, and then they'll apologize for it. And then they're like, I take it back. And I'm like, you gotta you gotta find your narrative and run with it, man. Like Which, what are we? Hey, dude, yeah. But you're 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 paying every invoice, you're still working out hard. So I think we're okay. Yeah, you're you're set then. You don't have to worry about it. You're you're fine. <laughs> I try to just really be nice. I think that's another quality about coaching too. Everybody wants like you know, hey, tell me I'm a piece of shit. Tell me I'm worthless. And I'm like, I don't know, man. You're a grown adult. You paid your taxes this year. Good for you, man. I don't know what else to say. Like, either do the movement or don't. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> Here it is. Take me or leave me. How it is? Exactly. That's yeah. That's where you have people like me to counter that because I will tell people that they fucking suck even if they don't want to hear it. Like, I'm sorry, but you fucking suck. Like, it's a it's a good cop, bad cop. Precisely. What I are like some of the lifts that you enjoy doing yourself? Because I know you said you don't power lift necessarily, but like, how do you keep yourself motivated through training? Is it just doing research to help your clients or are there like specific goals that you have in mind that you like to attend to? So... I joke about this, but I mean it with every ounce of my body. I want to be the strongest person in my neighborhood because I don't want anyone to ever conquer me. And I tell, I say this about, you know, anything. If I go to Kroger, you know, I'm going to be the strongest person at Kroger. No one will conquer me at Kroger. I think a big thing that really challenges my lifting is just like, I want to be prepared for anything. I want to be really good at a lot of different movements. Um, so 
I did competitive powerlift for a while. And then about 24, 25, I was like, man, I'm not hitting any more stride. I just want to like focus on my career, the coaching um, and whatnot. And I got into that. And, you know, I still did the training just because it was uh, what I was used to. But now I'm just like, man, I want to do some things I didn't do when I was younger. Like I didn't do a lot of sandbag stuff. I didn't do a lot of yoke or farmer. Like so strong, man, you know, that's what definitely keeps me motivated. And for a while on my page, I was talking about my farmer walks because I said, I'm going to heavy farmer walk for like three or four months. I just don't want a barbell deadlift. I'm over it. I'm bored of it. And I got up to 725 for like seven steps. And I was like, oh, shit, I dropped it. And then I pulled my Texas deadlift bar out and I hit a PR. And I was like, that's badass, man. I did a farmer walk for three months and I never deadlifted. And then I had a PR on deadlifts. So that's what like got my energy back into the book too, where I'm like, I'm so tired of hearing about barbell deadlifts, man. There's so many different ways to train. And I kind of want it to be that platform to teach others about it. I, I know total ramble. I went every different direction oh, I could. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad. What I are did some it. of the biggest pitfalls you see in most people's strongman training? Cause like, that's one place that I do a lot of coaching in and I see the training is very suboptimal and definitely like more of what I want to do, not what I should be doing type training and what it seems like to me. Strongman is full of, uh, thrills. That's it. Right. Strongman is full of thrills. So I train a good amount of strongman. And when we train for strongmen, they're always like, hey, my buddy's doing this thing on the weekend with his 18-wheeler. Can, can I can I go over there and do the, you know, hand-over-hand rope thing? And I'm like, I guess, whatever. But, uh, you know, a big thing with strongman is I think it's just so much thrills. There's a lot of event training. There's not enough, like, hey, let's get back to square one. Like, <clears throat> you have weak traps. Let's do some shrugs, you know. So I think the pitfall is exercise selection. So many thrills. Hey, I got a cop coming up. It's a yoke carry. So I'm going to do that. And I'm like, yeah, the yoke's perfect. But what are other exercises that are variations to the yoke that you could be doing to make your yoke better? So that's the big issue I have sometimes when it comes to the programming. I think it's all of that training. Not do you find that? Selection. Oh, sorry. Do you find that like the strongman Saturdays are more detrimental to a lot of people as opposed to, like you're saying, working on the foundational skills? They're really worried about oh, I need to do my strongman Saturday. And I found like the amount of stress they acquire on those days and then the type of practice they're getting on a lot of those events is overall not that great. It doesn't seem like. I can see it being pretty detrimental, but what I tell them and um, I don't know, I don't know if they, they take it serious. I'm assuming they do, but I'll tell them, hey, look, you got to meet in May. It's four months away. You got to do a yoke. You got to do a farmer and you got to do like a sandbag load. If you're going to do strawman Saturdays, please do the yoke, do a farmer and a sandbag load. Don't do irrelevant things. And I'll tell them too, hey, you know, if it's a yoke walk, you know, why don't y'all just try to like, you know, go speed reps, you know, this week, why don't y'all just try to go for speed? So instead of going 700 for 40 feet, you know, why don't you go 500 and see how fast you can get there? So I try to tell them that too, like, please stay relevant. Please don't just, you know, go completely rogue on me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of practicing sport and not foundations, have you coached any Olympic lifters? Uh, okay. So initially, I wanted to say no <laughs> because I was thinking, oh, I don't, I don't coach anybody who does the clean and jerk. But I do coach someone who is a world class sprinter, um, and we do a lot of the lifting. We'll do some trap bar stuff, 
we'll do dead squat jumps off the pins. We'll do a lot of cool stuff. Um, so I don't know if, I don't know if that really fits into what you're thinking of, but no, not, not, not the quite. Because yeah. <laughs> one thing I see with the Ollie lifters, like here at the gym, all they do is practice their sport and don't train any of the foundational stuff to help with the sport. And then it leads to overuse injuries and they're constantly missing and there's just all these things and they think that their technique is just going to evaporate if they don't touch that bar every single day and do a snatch or a clean injury. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. I can see it with all the sports, Olympic, powerlifting, Charmin. I'm just, it's an insecurity. And one of the hardest insecurities, not that it's related to Olympic lifting, I'll get new clients and they'll say, hey, you didn't program an SBD day for me. Is that a mistake? And I was like, no, I'm never going to do that ever. So, you know, I'm sorry. We just became take, best friends, I think. Take take me or leave me. Um, all strength sports, man. It's such a struggle. And I bet I I bet I would struggle too as an athlete if I was really fixated on it where, you know, oh, I have to barbell deadlift. I have to barbell squat. You can't take this away from me. But you got to trust the process. And ultimately, if you're going to reach out to somebody, like if I reach out to Alex or Joseph, I'm reaching out to you because I'm not good. Like I need to get better. So I need to just, you know, suck it up. You know, that's a hard thing for them too. I'll remind them of that. Hey, you reach out to me, man. You don't forget, you know, you want yeah, to ego gets you. in the way, I'm right? Yeah. I'm helping you, you know, you're, you're look in the mirror. So yeah, people think I'm crazy. I haven't touched a barbell in two months, I think almost three months. I took an off oh. season from doing powerlifting stuff. I'm like, I'm going to do hypertrophy. And now I'm doing some conditioning work before I go back to touching the barbell. And that's perfect, you know, learning those different movements because there's some translation, there's some positive transfer um, to all that. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Everybody just gets so wound up about it. But that's interesting. Not a barbell for two months. That might drive me nuts personally. But yeah, I mean, recently I've gotten back into using like the transformer bar and then like I've been doing a lot of carries the last couple of weeks and stuff like that. So it was just strict bodybuilding you know, for about eight weeks, nine weeks or so. I was just trying to build more tissue because I don't fill out my weight class yet. Okay. I got you, man. Well, Hey, I, I commend you and I wish you luck with that stuff. That's super awesome. Super killer, dude. I know he'll get the edge to pull something heavy though. It'll come. It's coming right now. I can see it in his face and his eyes. He's ready to care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he'll, he'll be I'm just happy that my idea to do deficit deadlifts is going to pan off and pan out well when I go to competition. So, cause I got about five months of de deficit deadlifts to do. So He's going to do on his Instagram later, had a random itch to pull, just pull the PR, just all this crap. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've never seen anyone that's more strict to the program than this guy. Like, I know he'll want to, Alex will want to have something heavy in his hand, but if it's not in what he's planning and how he's planning it, it ain't going down. I guarantee you that. <laughs> well, how long have y'all known each other? Oh, God. Oh, was it going on three years, Nathan? Is that right? Has it been that long? Do I have to I have to, have to put up with you for three this, years now? This, this month might be the three three year anniversary. Yeah, it might I be think. two, maybe two. Something like that, or the beginning. It may have been two years. I don't know. Oh, it's too long. How, how long has show been going? Oh, this is less than a year. We've only been doing this for what, Nathan? We're on eight months. We're about eight months. Yeah, this is the fifty first episode. So. Oh my God! What made y'all want to do it? Just wanted to <laughs> meet with other people, or. Uh, honestly, we, I don't know, really. <laughs> we just, I got shadow banned on Instagram. So I had to come up with other ways to get exposure. And then oh, once we no. started doing it, I found that this is like the best networking tool outside of going to seminars. Is it? Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure of it. Yeah. That sucks. You got, oh, shadow banned. So you're talking about 
you post things, but no one really. Correct. Yeah. I went dude, from reaching 50,000 people a month to 5,000 people a month. Dude, I'll post some stuff and I do, I'm, I do it on purpose. I'm like, this worked well four weeks ago at 9 PM on a Wednesday. I'm going to do it again. And I'll post something and it had like 700 likes. And then I post it again and it gets like 12. And I'm like, there's no way, there's no way this is happening, but it is, it's happening. It's currently happening to me. So it sucks. I hate it. Yeah, you can check your account status on Instagram. And if there's a little yellow explanation point, that means they're not reaching where it's supposed to. But like they oh, sent me a thing uh, and I tried to appeal it and they didn't respond to my appeal until a year <laughs> later when they took it off. I'm afraid they got like a yellow middle finger on mine, like up somebody's <laughs> nose or something. Like, <laughs> God, Lee, that's crazy. That sucks. It seems like the best people are the ones that get shadow banned too, unfortunately. So, and. And then we put people on pedestals who shouldn't even have one. If I don't even know what a pedestal is, it just pisses me off. Hey guys, it, it's those, it's the videos, it's the highest quality videos with the dumbest messages. And man, do they hit hard. And I'm like, man, I, no one I, appreciates authenticity anymore. I will say there is a good shift in the trend where it's like all the fit influencers are getting really ragged on right now, especially on like the YouTube short worlds. Like there's people oh, that are. Like all the girls that'll post like, oh, these guys are looking at me or this guy's looking at me or this guy. And then like, there's a ton of people out there like dogging on these people and like remixing these videos and stuff to like show like these people actually suck. Like continue to do this stuff so we can get them out of the gym in general. So we don't have to follow along with their stupid content anymore. Like it's really good. It's really funny stuff. Content has gotten crazy. Oh. I just started learning about it not too long ago, but man, it's it's so hard. I feel like the people who should have a bigger platform don't, but you got to play the game. I don't know, man. <clears throat> you got to figure it out, I guess. Yeah. I gave up on that. I just do what I want. Like, yep. there's no way it's sustainable for me trying to play someone else's game. So I'll just do my my own shit. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Like, whatever. That's fine. If I enjoy doing it, that's half the battle. Yeah. Feel good about it at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, no, no. I, I, I get that. It's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me. Like, you know, I want to stay true to myself, but then I'm like, oh my God, these people are doing this, this, and that. So I got to buy a camera and I got to, you know, one rep max every week. So whatever. <laughs> Honestly, dude, just keep doing what you're doing. Cause when I stumbled upon it, I was like, oh, this is fucking great. And so oh, you're going to attract the people that are worth it when you do what you are true to. You know what I mean? Words of affirmation. You've, you've, you've hit my, you've hit my soul. I like it. <laughs> Physical touch wouldn't happen. So I guess words of affirmation. <laughs> Get a couple more bourbons in him. You never know where this night's going to take us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'll go anywhere. Well, okay, I take it back. Anyways, so. <laughs> well, man, I know you said you only had about an hour of time. Is there anything else you wanted to cover before we end this one? I don't know, man. Is there anything else you guys are thinking of? I think we did <clears throat> some good points. And I appreciate the interest in the science behind some of this stuff. Because I think that's, you know, it's underappreciated. It's not really understood. But. I think if you can really just be open-minded and, and try to apply it, I think it can really take you far. But yeah, no, I think it's been a really good experience. I mean, is there anything else you guys are thinking about? I think you no, You just got to figure out how to make the science at a third grade level. Like I was telling Nathan, you get everybody <laughs> to be able to understand it at a third grade level. And then like, that's one thing I do well with my clients in person is analogies. So that way it clicks oh, yeah. like, right. If you don't have a good analogy or a good way to get them to understand it in their own language and whatever it is they're thinking, good luck. It ain't happening.
Yeah, I'll, I'll try my best, man. It's so hard. It's just my background and uh, whatnot. But yeah, I've, I've had some good growth. I feel like I'm under a shadow ban, but I think I can push through it. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty interested to see what that looks like. I look myself up, I guess, but no, it's been a good time, man. I, I definitely love this stuff. Um, I enjoy being able to talk about it and I'm appreciative of y'all's questions. I think it just flowed really well. It seemed like every question kind of had something else after the fact. So yeah, super fun. I love talking. So, you know, if there's ever a moment in the future, you guys know where you can, you know, you guys can come back to my, my garage where there's no AC or heat. And sometimes I get sick because it's so extreme weather. So yeah, we'll yeah. have to do one where we all have our own bourbon and see how long that goes. See if we can have, you know, a good, Are you, good you guys bourbon guys? Are you oh, guys whiskey guys? Or? I like whiskey. I just recently yeah. learned about Sazeracs, and those are pretty delicious. So, Ooh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I feel like if you're from the Midwest, it's just ingrained in your DNA from the time you're a little yeah. kid. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a Southern guy, but, yeah, we got some cool places around here. And that's just the way I roll, man. I'm like, put it on ice, and let's just see what happens. So, But, yeah, next time, that'd be cool. I'd be down with that. So, Well, tell, tell the people before you go where they can find you and where the best place to get a hold of you if they want to reach out for your services or just – follow your content because we know you're putting out great stuff. Yeah. So people can reach out to me at www.harvestingstrength.com. You can just look up harvesting strength and I'm sure you'll find it. Um, my Instagram is J underscore Lucero 89. Um, I, I always thought about changing my username to harvesting strength, but I found that people who have their business as the Instagram name, have a harder time interacting with people. I want people to know me as me. I don't want them to think I'm threatening them with my business. Um, but yeah, Harvesting Strength, I got YouTube. I post a ton of articles, just the one on Generation Iron, Train Heroic, Powerlifting Technique, um, Iron Full Strength. So there's a lot of cool things that I post on my page too, where people can kind of latch on to for more information. So Awesome. Well, thank you for your time tonight, especially on a Friday night. We appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us. Oh, yeah. No, my kids are screaming. I can hear them. So I know they're <laughs> definitely ready to they're ready to drink my bourbon. But you know what? I'm almost done. So they're in trouble. Awesome. You guys didn't know I was drinking all this bourbon, but I was sneaking it in there. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you're doing good, man. Appreciate you taking the time and thank you for everything. Yeah, man. Until next time, I appreciate you guys. Thanks, man. Have a good night.